One out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autographs. This is episode 13. I'm Tom Alterzewski. Tonight I'm joined by Trey Bond. How are you doing, Trey? Hey, Tom. Hey, so um, before we get started tonight, we have some news for uh, our many listeners. I'm sure there's as many of you out there. Uh, Autographs is on iTunes now. So I, there's a link in the article. If you go down where you can see the recording, there's links to iTunes and to the RSS feed. Um, if you want to subscribe, that'd be great. You can listen to us wherever instead of just on Rotographs. Um, and of course, if you want to go ahead and give us a rating or a review, uh, I'm sure on every podcast you listen to, the host asks for that. Uh, I think we have one review already, which was good. So we'll take what we can get. Uh, hopefully good ones. That's right. Five stars. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, tonight we wanted to do a little bit like uh, I did with Justin last week and talk about some players that you know have been notable so far early on. Could be good or bad players. Looks like we've lined up all pretty good players. Um, so maybe we'll take another episode in the future to talk about some players who have been less successful. Um, but these are just some major league players, um, players that we feel have been notable. Uh, a lot of them are players, I'm sure, that are on mine or on Trey's team. Um, so yeah, I'll kick it over to you, Trey, first, since it looks like you have a couple more players lined up on our list here. So uh, whoever you want to start with. Sure. Well, I mean, these are not all guys on my team, so hopefully they'll be relevant to other people. But um, I'll probably start off with talking about Johnny Peralta and uh, Aledmus Diaz. They're kind of a combo since I think Peralta is coming back on Tuesday for the second time. I guess he came back and cut his thumb again or something. So he's having some thumb issues. But I just think it's interesting. I'm a Cardinals fan. You know, we might have lo- just lost some listeners right there. But uh, um <laughs> I am a Cardinals fan, and I'm curious to see what the Cardinals do at shortstop. I mean, Diaz has been a top 10 shortstop this year, which kind of coming out of nowhere. He's probably owned in most leagues for $3 or less. He's got a 376 Woba entering uh, this weekend, and he's been pretty amazing. He doesn't strike out much. He doesn't walk much. He's just kind of one of those guys that was billed as a slap hitter, but he's put eight home runs on the board, too. So, I saw some news about Peralta maybe playing some third base. So there's a lot of moving parts here because I think Diaz is still valuable. I I really don't know what he might be for the rest of the season. He's only estimated to have or projected to have the 315 Woba rest of the season. So a big drop from where he's been year to date. That's probably not a surprise to anybody. Peralta's projected at 321, so an improvement over what Diaz is projected for. But then you also factor in the value to Matt Carpenter, who would move maybe over to second base again. So you got a lot of moving parts in the Cardinals infield, which has a lot of fantasy implications. So Diaz has been interesting. I don't I don't really know what to make of him. I mean, I you know, it's it's easy to say he might be a sell high guy, but everybody in most leagues probably would would see right through that. So if you're really trying to push him on someone, but he's been pretty steady for, for two months now. So he's probably a guy that if you own him for two, three bucks, he's probably well worth keeping next year for five, just to see what you have. Don't know where he fits in. Maybe he gets uh, partial playing time in the outfield or something like that. But Diaz is a guy that I just think is interesting just because of the positional Changes that are coming up, Peralta is going to play a role in that for sure. And just one more caveat on shortstops. I like to look at shortstops. It used to be the thinnest position in fantasy. But as of today, Corey Seager has now outscored Carlos Correa in uh, Autonew. So I think that's interesting. Both have outscored Francisco Lindor. So there's all these debates, you know, in the last few years about rookie shortstops and Correa had such a great year last year. He's been, he struggled a little bit this year, still very good, but Seager's been hot. He hit his fourth home run in two games today and Trevor Story is still outscored both. So <laughs> any thoughts there, Tom? 
Well, first of all, Corey Seager has been killing me because uh, one of my biggest league opponents owns him. So I've been watching the standings every night and, and Seager put up three home runs one night when I thought I had kind of taken a little edge that night. Oh, yeah. So I was like bemoaning that. Um, as far as uh, Diaz, I totally agree. Uh, looking into next year. I mean, if you own him for three dollars, uh, you kind of can't afford not to keep him just because, you know, e- even with some of these young shortstops coming up, kind of entering a new offensive heavy age maybe not quite yet but you can see it kind of on the horizon i mean still five dollars is not a lot for someone who even if they were a top 20 shortstop you know they would still be pretty valuable at five dollars even if they were just your middle infielder or your backup um and i you know i totally agree it will actually talk about um a similar player on my side in a minute um but as far as what to do about diaz going forward uh, I kind of feel like he's the kind of guy, both for the Cardinals and if you own him on your team, you know, you just keep playing him. Um, I wouldn't really be looking to change things up too much, if that makes sense. You know, so if you're playing him and he's doing well, just keep him in there. Um, I would assume if you're playing him, you probably have some kind of backup option because you probably had somebody that you own to start the year. Right. And then you, you know, you put Diaz in, you either picked him up or you had him on your bench and now you're starting him. So I would feel pretty comfortable just kind of throwing him out there. If at some point he does start to fall off, you know, you can keep your eye on it. Uh, one thing I really like, actually, is the um, the last 10 games feature on the player pages. And it just gives you a little snapshot of what they've done, like in the past week and a half or two weeks. You know, so if you ever see a player fall down to like 20, 30 points, that's like a little red flag. Like, hey, check out what's going on. So if you see that with Diaz, um, you can take a look and just say, do you think he's actually falling off or is it just, you know, a little slow week? Yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's been good and this, you know, it's been sort of the age of the shortstop, but this year has been sort of the, the year of the $1 shortstop. I mean, you got Diaz is probably picked yeah. off, off waivers, Jonathan Villar. A lot of people were talking about him on Slack the other day. I mean, he's been the third best shortstop in the game year to date, which is kind of crazy. Even guys like Jordy Mercer and Zach Cozart are probably picked off off waivers. Those guys have been usable. So shortstop's been a lot deeper this year. It kind of came full circle where uh, other positions were much, you know, a lot more depth. But shortstop has been uh, kind of re rebirthed in the last uh, year or two. Yeah, I really feel like especially the, um, you know, because the top shortstops, you know, there's been – uh, Troy Tulowitzki the past couple of years, there's been like a couple of those elite guys, but I feel like it's really gotten deeper, you know, in that 10 to 15 range and even 15 to 20, you know, guys like Jordy Mercy, you said, um, I'm looking here by Woba. Didi Gregorius is number 19. He's been, you know, startable as a backup guy. Danny Espinoza has hit a little bit. Um, well, not, not, not by uh, Woba, but he's, you know, had some games. If you have him as your backup and you started him a little bit, he's been useful. Um, and I feel like it it really is a little bit of a change from recent years when like that backup tier from 15 to 20 was just totally a wasteland. There was right. just nothing to use there. And, you know, and, and a lot of guys like Danny Espinosa hasn't been great this year, but he's been a viable backup. And in the past couple of years, somebody who was ranked 21st or 22nd was just completely useless. <laughs> I mean, Eduardo Nunez has been very playable this year. I just looked, Jose Ramirez on the on the Indians has been the one, two, three, four, five, sixth best shortstop in the last 30 days. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, it's, isn't, it's a, isn't he eligible at like nine different positions too? He is. He's, he's like the Brock Holt of... Uh, the new Brock Holt, yeah. Right. So, who do you have on your list, Tom? Well, uh, I guess we'll just go kind of connecting to Hugh. You actually mentioned him for a moment, uh, Jonathan VR who um, uh, there has been some talk on Slack actually going back um, to early in the year. He was somebody that I liked um, not to hit like he has hit, obviously, but to be somebody that could hit with maybe a 310, maybe 320 in a good scenario, Woba. Uh, and that would be from shortstop would be totally usable. The problem for him was, was he going to have any playing time? Because he was kind of, I, I think he came over from the Astros to the Brewers and it wasn't really clear where he was going to play. He had played some shortstop with the Astros, um, but there was some thought that he might be that super utility guy playing like third, second shortstop, but might only play, you know, every other day like that. Um, and he in the first maybe week, two weeks, he kind of did that. And then he started to take over the job. 
And now he's been starting at third base for them, and he's been really good. He's actually, to this point, had a 373 Woba, which is much more than I would have expected from him. I think you just said he was the number three shortstop ranked by Woba now, um, which is insane compared to what you would have expected from him. Uh, but kind of like you were mentioning about um, about Diaz, even if he regresses a bit, I think he could still be pretty useful. Um, and And especially VR, you know, with Diaz... I guess the thought is, you know, what if he falls back off into what everyone would expect, which which was like not to do anything at all. Uh, but with VR, he already has a track record of putting up a 305, 310 Woba over the past couple of seasons and just never got much playing time. So I think he's uh, fairly legit to expect that maybe he could keep putting up at least, you know, that 315-ish Woba going forward. Uh, and really, like I said, all he needed was the playing time which I don't think he's in that much danger of losing, you know, even if he did kind of fall off of this pace, just because the Brewers are in a position where they don't really have anyone to replace him, even if he were making a case to be replaced. So I've been pretty happy with him. Uh, VR is actually someone I have on uh, my one team that's doing the best this year that's in contention. So I've been pretty happy with him, uh, especially because I had Troy Tulowitzki go down to an injury and to general not being goodness. <laughs> Tula's been rough. I mean, VR's been I mean, the big thing for him, he's put up a 415 Woba the last 30 days, but the big that change in his, I mean, it's pretty apparent. He's walking, he's almost doubled his walk rate from 2015 and pretty much doubled his his career walk rate. So, he's walking almost 14%. So, we'll see if that continues, but if he's figured something out, he's got a better batting eye. I mean, that he, as long as you get on base and you're a shortstop, that's that's the name of the game right there. Yeah, even if he was, you know, batting 30, 40, 50 points less in Woba, he'd still be pretty useful. And it's just the icing on the cake that he's been this good, you know, in that top five range. So VR has been, I, I expect, you know, when we look back at the end of the season, I think Justin's pretty good at pulling the names, but I know there's been questions about, you know, how many how many teams in his top 10 power rankings that came out last week, how many teams own Kershaw? I think it was quite a few. It was like six or seven of the top 10. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how many teams at the end of the year own some of these sort of breakout cheap players like VR or Diaz. I mean, some of those teams that just happen to pick them up or draft them with their last slot in the draft have really benefited big time. Yeah, that's actually something I want to look at too. Um, maybe around the midseason, I had something penciled in uh, out of new All Stars. Maybe around the All Star break, and you know, obviously anybody can look and see who are the best performing players. But what I wanted to look at is who are some of those players that are performing really well. But the reason they're an All Star for Adenu is that their average price is really low. So they are these guys like VR, like Diaz, that um, are performing really well and were mostly either picked up at the end of the draft or even were waiver wire pickups for just a couple bucks at the beginning of the year. Those are like the true all-stars in Adenu. Oh, absolutely. So I'm going to move to my next guy, one of my favorite players of all time. You you know, you teed it up at the beginning. You said that all these players are good. I'm I'm curious if that's true on this player. So I'm I'm choosing to talk about Andrew McCutcheon, one of my favorite guys. He's been on my team for several years. I won last year in my favorite auto new league. And we have a, we sort of have this gentleman's agreement at the end of the year that the winner of the league has to buy or is, is allowed to buy with their winnings, a uh, major league authentic Jersey. And so I bought the McCutcheon Jersey and was thrilled about it. So proud to be a McCutcheon owner, but he has really struggled in the first half or at least these first 60 days. And I owned him last year. So he, I mean, there was a lot of talk about McCutcheon being injured last year, his knee. He was terrible for six weeks. And then he was absolutely incredible for the second half of the year. So he had a 400 Woba from May to August last year. He really turned it on and there was, he kind of put to bed any of the questions about being injured. This year, I have a lot more concerns. And the reason I added him to my list tonight is just because I was just thinking in my head, you know, who are the top five outfielders? And Trout and Harper immediately come to the top. I think you can quickly put uh, Mookie Betts in there. And I was trying to think, is McCutcheon still a top five guy? And is he going to be in the top five next year? He's he's owned right now across all auto new leagues at 51 bucks. And I have to really kind of question 
what he would go for next year. He might be a guy that drops into the 30 or 40s. So he's got a 331 Woba right now, which would be his career low. And the thing that kind of sticks out with McCutcheon right now is that his contact rate in the zone is the lowest of his career. It's just hovering around 80%, and his strikeout rate has gone up a few percentage points too. So I don't know what's going on with McCutcheon. I have faith that he'll turn it around the second half, kind of like he did last year, but we're already beyond that point a little bit, so we're already into June. So I'm really hoping because I, I need him to pick up the pace for my team. But I'm concerned, so I'm I'm curious if he's maybe dropped – out of the sort of first tier of outfielders entering 2017. We'll see how he finishes the year, but he's the sort of the guy that I wanted to highlight tonight because he's the one guy that I think might be a good buy candidate for the second half of the year, but I do think there's some risk too. So um, you can probably buy him for fairly cheap right now. If he's on a non-contending team, somebody's probably pretty frustrated with him, but Andrew McCutcheon is definitely a guy that's pretty critical to my team and probably a lot of others who, you know, the other three people listening to this podcast for the second half of the year. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just looking at um, you mentioned that his contact rate is down, his strikeout rate is up. Um, and what's tough, too, is that his walk rate is down. If you look back for the past four seasons, I think his walk rate has been trending up and now it's uh, reversed. It's not. Uh, well, it is. It would be the worst of his career, but essentially tied with 2012, um, which was 10.4 to this year. He's at 10.3. Um, so that's kind of you expect to see when strikeouts go up, walks would go up, too, because like as you're more patient, you're going to strike up more, but you're going to walk more. Um, and instead, he's kind of going in the wrong direction in both categories, which is uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but obviously it's not what you want to see uh, from a player like that. Um, I think it's interesting too. Um, if you look, he is you mentioned he's at a three thirty one woba now. Uh, if you look at his rest of season projections, uh, they each have gone down a bit uh, from what they were projected at the beginning of the year. So if you look at Zips at Steamer, um, which is a little bit worrisome to me too, because normally you would see, say, the Steamer projection for the full year if somebody performed weak in the first half the full year would get dragged down. But a lot of times the projection for rest of season will stay just as good. It expects them to kind of perform it to their level. Um, but to me, what that says is that Zips and Steamer are kind of seeing something worrisome in their own calculations that they're now projecting him to perform a little worse. Um, and I think the what would worry me about looking at that is that you wonder, are they being conservative? You know, they might be spotting something wrong, but because it's a projection system, it's going to regress back to whatever its original projection was. Right. So if a player is kind of falling off, you might see that projection trend down over the year, but it wouldn't take like a giant jump down. Um, so that uh, I kind of, like you said, I'm not exactly sure what to make of it. Um, I think he's better than a 331 Woba, but I'm not quite sure, you know, what would I expect him to jump back up to, you know, 360 all the way to that kind of 380, 390 range. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. I, I, He's a guy that, uh, you know, he's not old. He's still under 30, but um, I he's got a thumb problem right now. I mean, this is uh, early June, so maybe he can get past that and get hot in the summer. But he's a guy that I think I would buy if you could get at the right price. But I just – I don't have the the full confidence that I, that I normally would like I had last year knowing that, you know, he's going to turn it around. So we'll kind of see what happens. Yeah, uh, one one good thing, just kind of looking here, um, because uh, I'm looking at some of the guys that you put on your list, you know, at the same time as we're talking about them. Um, but I noticed his BABIP is, um, this is going to sound funny, but only 300 this year, which normally he's the kind of player that has a high BABIP. He has more in that 350 uh, or maybe higher range. Uh, so I wonder a little bit if it could be some bad luck, you know, even if he got back up to the 339 he had last year, that could be something that would help him you know, gain back some production right there. But at the same time, even that wouldn't get him all the way back up to the range he's been in for the past couple of years. So uh, I wonder if this could be a problem of a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of some kind of change that is causing him to strike out more, walk less, so on. You're giving me hope. I hope that works. So, yeah, well, I guess uh, like we said about shortstop, you know, at any position, really, 
you, in a way, don't need to be that good to be good in Adenu. You know, and even if he, say, so if his BABUP went up a little bit and maybe he tweaks his approach a little bit, maybe he gets healthy again, you know, the thumb is healed. Even if he gets back up to kind of that 350, 360 Woba, that'd be pretty valuable. You know, if you are able to buy him kind of as a, I wouldn't say a throw in, but maybe if you're looking at a deal with another team and you say, hey, I'll take McCutcheon off your hands and you can work out something where you're getting him not quite at full trade price. You know, I think you could still reap the benefit of that. Right. I agree. Now, you have a <clears throat> former outfielder on your list. Yes. Evan Gaddis, who, if you're playing Adenu, if you're on Slack, I hope you know that Gaddis is eligible at catcher now. So if you own Gaddis, get him in your catcher slot. Um, I own him in one league. I had been <laughs> watching impatiently, hoping for him to get that fifth game. And actually, um, I didn't realize he was catcher eligible to the day after he became and he hit a home run that night. And I was kicking myself that I wish I would have put him in my catcher slot, you know, and got that extra game. Um, but in any case, I, I think that really helps his value. We had a discussion on Slack maybe two, three weeks ago, kind of when the news first broke that he was going to go to the minors and work on catching. And there was some discussion over, you know, how much was this going to help his value? Because as we saw in our preseason rankings, we're not sure that catcher is that much more valuable than outfield or potentially if outfield perhaps is more valuable than catcher uh, to be eligible. But uh, I think that catcher and outfield is kind of a unique split to have because it's so rare. You know, you have a lot of guys that are eligible at second and third base or second base and shortstop or first base outfield. It's very common. But to have somebody that's eligible at catcher and another position, I think is a really sneaky good way to use somebody, especially if you have another good catcher on your team, because you can basically fill out your games at catcher any way you want. You can start two guys for 50 games in a row and fill up most of your games. You can leave it blank for a lot of games and then fill them up later. And so I think Gaddis is the perfect kind of guy that if he's on your team right now, he should be starting somewhere. He's over six points a game the past 10, 20 games. So he's starting somewhere on your team. And I think it's really great that it gives you the freedom. If you need games at catcher, throw them in at catcher. But if you're desperate for outfield games, you can start them there. And you could still, as you get caught up, use them at catcher later in the year. You have a lot of choices of how to use them right there, which I think is really helpful. Uh, and plus, on top of that, he's eligible for catcher in 2017 now, too, because you only need the five starts or 10 games in the previous season. So even if he doesn't play another game at catcher all year, you could draft him where you could keep him as your catcher for next year, too which I think is a big boost for him. Well, he seems like he's been rejuvenated by, by playing catcher. He's been pretty hot the last <laughs> yeah, uh, few days. Yeah, almost the opposite of what you'd expect. <laughs> so, I mean, you're right. I mean, he and uh, catcher has been hit or miss this year. It, I, you know, as, as what we talked about shortstop, as deep as it has developed, catcher seems like it's thinned out a lot. I mean, Jonathan LaCroix is the best catcher over the last 30 days. But you've got uh, guys like Chris Herman in the top six guys the last 30 days. Buster Posey's barely in the top 10. So I mean, I can't the, believe Wilson Ramos at number two right now. I know. I know. He was the guy. That, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Wilson Ramos is a guy that, you know, everybody drafted for the last five years thinking he was going to be, you know, excellent. And then no one drafted him this year thinking, all right, we're finally right. going to write him the, off. The patience finally ran out on him and then he delivers. <laughs> right. So, I mean, Gaddis immediately, I think, shoots near the top of that list for the rest of the season, probably in the top three to five catchers. So great versatility there, great value, a uh, good guy to have on your team, and he's a good guy to, to highlight on your list. Yeah. So, the, Oh, just if I could um, mention one more thing about Gaddis. Um, one of the things we discussed in the Slack group was essentially uh, that same idea of how, how much value was he going to gain from this um, and one thing that I brought up was that, well, at, at that time, you know, you weren't sure if Gaddis was going to be starting because if you had five good outfielders, maybe he would get pushed to the bench as like your sixth or seventh outfielder. Um, that's a little moot now because he's been performing so well. Uh, but I think that kind of ties into the idea of catcher outfielder when we were discussing which one was more valuable. Gaddis is the kind of guy that even if he falls off a little bit, you know, you can definitely start him at catcher. Um, and when he's performing great, he's the kind of guy that you can start him at outfield. Um, I think where he gains the most value 
is if you're on a team where he was already on your bench in the outfield. So actually, that describes the one team that I have him on. My outfielder has been re- performing really well to the point that Gaddis was in the conversation to get started, you know, but he was up against like Carlos Beltran, a couple guys that were hitting pretty well. And I had the question every night, which to start. So the advantage in that case is basically that I can get Gaddis in my lineup. And then, you know, depending on the day, if I need to start him in outfield, sometimes I can. Uh, where I think this doesn't quite help you so much is if you're on a team where your outfield is already thin and Gaddis was starting every night, this doesn't quite help you as much because if you move Gaddis to catcher, now you need to go hunting for another outfielder and you might, instead of using your crappy catcher, you're sticking some crappy outfielder instead. So uh, I think the deepest teams are really where Gaddis is going to help the most. If you have like a deep team that's in contention, this just gave you another boost, you know, without having to trade for someone or without having to spot someone on the waiver wire. So I think that's maybe a little unfair that the weaker teams that might need the help the most are the ones that this isn't going to help as much. And the strongest teams are the ones that are going to benefit the most. Um, but that's a little bit uh, like the luck of the draw. And I don't know that this is how, how it works in this case. Exactly. I, he's, I don't own Gaddis anywhere. I wish I did because my catchers have been terrible this season. So, Well, I think a lot of people feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to move on to another outfielder. I don't want to make this the whole outfielder show, but um, another guy I don't own anywhere, and I think I've only owned uh, once in my whole Autonew career, but Bryce Harper. So here's a, here's a trivia question for you, Tom. Year to date, uh, where – where does uh, Bryce Harper rank among outfielders? Top three, top ten? I mean, tell me, tell me where you think without looking. In in terms of total points. Total points, yeah. Is he not number one? <laughs> He's not. So Mike hmm. Trout's number one. No surprise there. Okay, Trout. Yeah. He's not number two. Well, I'm going to say I'm I'm guessing then that the kind of the point of this question is that Harper is not quite as good as I was guessing he was. So I'm going to be bold and guess that he's outside the top five. You are correct. He is actually Uh, 11th year to date. Oh, wow. I did not realize he was that low. So he has a three – actually, as of today, he has a 382 Woba. He – I mean, I think the argument is very strong that he is probably the best or second best player period going forward for the rest of the season. But he had an incredible April, and he has been average at best in May. And the really interesting thing about Harper, I think, is he is learning to have to take the the superstar treatment and get walked, you know, three times a game. So his yeah. on base percentage is still over four hundred. He's walking twenty two percent of the time, but they're not letting him hit anything. So the jer- the the scouting reports are out, and they've really made a difference in the month of. Excuse me, in the month of May. So here are some guys that currently have a WOBA higher than Bryce Harper. Michael Saunders, Brandon Belt, Mark Trumbo, Dexter Fowler. As of today, Jay Bruce and Bryce Harper are the same player. Adam Duvall has a higher WOBA than Bryce Harper. And Stephen Piscotti has a higher WOBA. So... Just some interesting names there. I don't know if I'm really making any type of commentary on Bryce Harper. If you, I, I guess the takeaway here is that if you want to trade for him, great. You're probably not going to get any discount. <laughs> but if you traded for him three or four weeks ago, thinking he was the best player on the planet, you have really kind of been in a hole with Bryce Harper for the past three or four weeks. So. He's an interesting player going forward. He's got a career low BABIP, which has remained low. It looked really low in April, and it has stayed that way. So a combination of walking him, kind of the Barry Bonds treatment, you know, walking him every plate appearance, plus not hitting the ball, uh, you know, in the holes when he does get a pitch to hit, it makes it tough. So it's going to be interesting to see how he, as a baseball player, as a superstar, adjusts in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of speaks to how great Bryce Harper is, you know, just as a player outside of Adenu that we're looking at is uh, 378 Woba here. And um, and we're kind of saying, like, what's wrong? How is he going to adjust? So, right. you know, I think we can still look for bright things in the future because I'm sure he will adjust to this somehow. And 
even if he stays, you know, that 373 80 Wobo player, <laughs> that's still really good. Uh, I'm kind of shocked to see his average so low. You know, his OBP over 400, slugging over 500, but his average is only 238. You know, so that's kind of dragging down. It's a little bit the opposite. Instead of an empty average, he kind of has a weak average with really heavy on base and slugging. Um, but that is, I'm sure, dragging him down a bit because even though when he gets hits, he's getting big hits, he's not getting a lot of them, you know, right. to bat 238. So, um, like I said, that's still, you know, fairly great production, but uh, I think we've come to expect more. You could tell that even just kind of with the pop quiz on him, I expected him to be one of the top couple hitters. And even though he's near the top 10, you know, that's disappointing for him. It is, especially if you were a buyer at the beginning of the season or you, you traded for him. I, I saw Bryce Harper come across the trade screen several times about three weeks ago. So those teams that acquired him are are wondering what happened. And I'm sure they're still hopeful for the second half. But, uh, I mean, he's got a – I mean, he's projected for a 417 Wobo for the rest of the season. <laughs> so, I mean, he's he's going to be – he's still going to be excellent. But he's got to figure out what – how do I hit when guys give me one pitch a game to, to swing at? You know what's um, a little funny thing here? I'm looking at the qualified outfielder leaderboard on Fangraphs. A 417 Woba is higher than any player has on the year so far. So the uh, Fangraphs is projecting him to be better in the second half than any player has been, period. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I hope he does that. I own him on two teams um, which are not in contention. And I guess this is a big reason why, although I didn't quite realize, you know, I don't want to say how badly he was performing, but how not up to the level that I was hoping for uh, he's been. Right. So. All right. Well, uh, I guess not too much we can say about that besides, you know, let's keep our eye on him and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I certainly think he'll bounce back. But, you know, just like with McCutcheon, I'm curious to see to what degree, you know, and how fast he's able to adjust. Um, So I'll jump back over to my list here. Uh, The next player I had lined up is a pitcher who kind of like the other players on my list has surprised a lot this year. um, And really even more than VR came out of nowhere, Rich Hill, um, who uh, if you were watching baseball at all, I'm sure you remember his four starts last season, which were like out of this world. Good. Um, But he was a hot name over the winter uh, in every kind of discussion on podcasts, on message boards, basically people wondering, you know, can he keep this up? We're, is there even anything to keep up or was it just a lucky four starts and he was going to fade back into total obscurity? Um, But this year came around and he's been awesome. Uh, He's been, you know, right in the conversation with some of the best starters this year. Uh, Looking at his page here, he's striking out uh, over 10 per nine. He was walking uh, a few less earlier, but still uh, with a few more in the past couple starts, he's at a 3.38 per nine walk rate. Um, And he's allowing basically no home runs. Uh, He's at 0.28 home runs per nine and doing all of this with a fairly normal BABIP, uh, just about 300. So, you know, BABIP isn't everything. Uh, You know, you might see the home runs go up a little bit. Uh, Last year, he was at 0.62. But this is one of those things where, you know, I almost don't know what to make about it. You know, for the first third of this season and a couple starts last year, I mean, he's been at least a $20 player, you know, maybe a $30 pitcher. Um, And most teams own him at far less than that. I think he's under $10 in every league. Uh, His average price is about three or $4. So he's under $5 in most leagues. Um, I actually own the most expensive rich hill in all of Adenu at $9 in one of mine. So, I mean, I guess uh, my question is, you know, what do you make of this? Do you think this is, something he's going to continue doing? Is this his talent level now? Is he going to regress? I'm, I'm not sure. What do you think, Trey? <laughs> well, I mean, right now, I, I'm a big believer in Rich Hill. I think it's hard to talk about him. I do own him in one league, and it's hard to talk about Rich Hill without acknowledging the fact that he's somewhat of an injury risk. I mean, he's down right now. Um, and it's also the fact that he's almost guaranteed to be traded this year if he continues to pitch well and he's healthy. So why is that relevant? I mean, he, one thing to notice is that he's a lot better on the road this year than he is at home, which is a little odd because he pitches in Oakland. So, I mean, Oakland is traditionally a great place to pitch, but he's, I mean, he's got a, 
uh, a 430 XFIP on, at home and he's 320 on the road. So I don't know. I mean, maybe he, maybe this will be a good thing. Maybe he gets traded to someplace like St. Louis or something, you know, uh, the, again, there's a Cardinal fan coming out. Yeah, is me, that but. a good thing for Rich Hill or a good thing for you? <laughs> <laughs> both, both. But I think he's going to get traded. And we just saw James Shields get traded the White Sox. There's going to be some more movement with pitchers here coming soon. Oakland's made it very apparent that he's going to be traded, I think. So as long as he pitches well, but I, if you own, I mean, you said you own him at nine. That's, that's, like you said, that's the steepest one. But if you own Rich Hill for three, four, five, six dollars, I think he's a guy that it's going to be really good for the rest of the season and a guy that you keep for next year. I, I have to admit, though, I was not a Rich Hill buyer entering this year's draft. I thought yeah, last year's four starts were, you know, small sample size. But kudos to Billy Bean; he knows what he's doing. Well, honestly, even the one that I own, I actually traded for about uh, maybe three, four weeks ago. And it was part of a little larger deal. And I was pretty nervous about it, you know, I because I really I didn't know what to expect. I, I wasn't quite sold on him. The only reason I ended up doing it is because there were some other parts in the deal that, you know, really worked for me. And I kind of felt like if I could get Hill, if that was what was going to make it work with the other team, you know, I'll take him and see what I get. Um, and he's been pretty good so far. Uh, he was, I think, a little better before the point when I traded for him. So I haven't quite gotten peak Rich Hill. Um but still, you know, over the course of these last couple of weeks, like I've become a lot more comfortable with him. Uh, I don't know that I would potentially want to be the most expensive Rich Hill owner in all of Adenu, you know, if I was buying him again. But the great thing is that the most expensive Rich Hill is only $9, you know, where if we were redrafting, if we had one of those midseason drafts like we had last year, I think there would definitely be teams spending $20, $25 on him, even with, you know, the risk that he could get injured or that he could get traded um, right. or Honestly, the risk that he just, you know, blows up and falls off a cliff. Um, I, that's what pitching is worth. in new, you know, that you could spend twenty five dollars on that guy. And honestly, if you know, if we were confident that he would do this all year and he was healthy, I mean, you could see him going thirty, forty dollars just based on the rate production. You know, and right. some of that risk is already priced in at a twenty five dollar price. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, why don't we flip over to your side? You have a couple of pitchers lined up that we can segue from. Sure. Uh, next pitcher for me is Matt Harvey. Um, I don't own Matt Harvey anywhere. I traded him early in the season to Justin, actually, in the Champions League and pretty happy with that. But the reason I bring up Matt Harvey right now is because he's now got back to back really good starts. He threw seven innings today. I uh, threw seven innings last week at the end of May. So two quality, good starts, seven innings apiece, you know, six, seven points per innings pitch for each. The question that I'll throw back to you, Tom, are you a buyer or are you a seller of Matt Harvey right now? Well, uh, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't own Matt Harvey. Um, I've actually, I look back, I've never owned Matt Harvey in five years of playing Adenu, which is not uh, a slight on him, just kind of that's how it's worked out. Um, honestly, though, at this point, I am not sure that I would be a buyer. I, you know, I don't want to say that I'd be like dumping him like uh, abandoned ship. Um, but just looking at some of his recent games, I mean, he's got gave up three home runs game where he gave up eight hits, six earned runs, another home run. You know, some of these bad games are doing a lot more like to inspire me to not trust him than the good games are doing to make me trust him, if that makes right. sense. Right. You know, he he's had some good games, but it, even his good games have not been great. You know, if he had like some 70 point starts in there mixed in with some duds, that might make me think, oh, yeah, like he's still got it. But he's really had, you know, I'm seeing like a 55 point game here, but then like a lot of kind of mediocre games, like 20, 30 point games, which, you know, is fine, but I'm sure not what people were hoping for from him. And not really enough to inspire me to go out and get him. You know, I'm not sure that he's somebody that I would be trying to buy low on so much as someone that, uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm too down on him, but maybe he's someone that, you know, if I have my choice between a couple guys, I'm probably going to pick the other guy. I agree. I, I'm, I would be selling as fast as I could. I, oh, so I you're, just, you're more down than I am. 
I am. I I think you take advantage of these two positive starts. You know, the the (laughs) story was, right, get them off your team. The story was, I guess, that there were some mechanical flaws that the Mets figured out. I mean, it took them six weeks to figure out the mechanical flaws, I guess. But I don't know. I I think he's had two good starts. He's still not striking out a lot of guys like like you would expect to see from Matt Harvey. But um, I, I think I'm I'm a seller right now. Well, that's good. I was worried that I was gonna like be dissing him, and then you were gonna say I'm buying, and then like I, I was gonna look bad. But um, but it sounds like we're you know to a certain degree on the same page. Um, and you know, I, like I said, I'm not sure how I would feel if he was on my team. You know, if, if I saw him put up minus 24 to the Nationals. I might feel the same way and be like, get him off my team as fast as possible. <laughs> right, exactly. So, yeah, and I think like you said, just looking at some of these starts, like if you look at his strikeouts going back, six in his last game, which is pretty good, but then one strikeout in five innings, two strikeouts in two innings, which is bad that he only lasted that long, uh, then six and ten in two pretty good games, but then four, five, four, three, you know, like you would expect him to be more in the six, seven, eight range. That's what you're hoping for from him. So, yeah, I think, like you said, if you can get someone to, you know, buy on him, if they're buying that he's a bounce back candidate, uh, I would say go for it. Uh, otherwise, this might be a little bit of a case where he's too obvious of a buy. You know what I mean? Where if you try to sell him, somebody's going to say, I, you know, I know what you're doing. You're trying to get me to buy low on Harvey just to dump him. So no, he, that's a good it point. might be the, yeah, I mean, it might be the kind of case where you have to ride it out and, if he puts up another couple of good starts, maybe then you can get in a position where you could sell on him. Uh, but I do agree. Even if he goes out and puts out a couple of great starts, unless it's like clear that he's just back on and he's striking out a ton of guys, I would probably stay on the sell side. Right. I, I agree. I, I, it'll be interesting to see if I wish there was a way that we could see, you know, most traded players or most added players, I'll have to uh, yeah. talk to Niv about that, but I, I would think that he might be near the top of the list here in the next few weeks. Well, you know, I think you can see, um, uh, you know, you can't see most traded. You can see, you know, added or cut. You, there's a thing on the player page, changed X percent. Um, but the problem is, unlike in ESPN, Matt Harvey has changed 0% in 30 days because nobody really cuts big players at this point in the season. So that's not quite as useful now as it might be like in the off season or in the kind of spring training preseason. All right. Well, um, we each have one player left on our lists here. So I'll flip over to my side and then we'll close up with yours. Uh, I picked another infielder who was a little bit similar to VR and that's Derek Dietrich on the Marlins. Um, He's very similar in terms of my personal hype for him uh, because he was another player that I thought had always been a solid hitter. You know, he'd always been in that 315, 320 Woba range, which for an infielder is pretty solid. Uh, but he was also a kind of player that never really got any playing time. He was always uh, either behind someone as the backup or he was forced into kind of that super utility role where he'd play third base one day, second base one day. He played a little outfield last year as they were trying to kind of mix and match, um, which was unfortunate because in Adenu, I think that kind of player is really one of the least useful kinds. You know, if you have somebody who's a super utility that plays every day, that's useful because you can just plug them in at whatever position you need. Uh, But somebody that doesn't play that much is not very helpful because you can't rely on them as a starter. And a lot of times you can't even really rely on them as a backup because you don't know when they're going to play. So if you are trying to use him as a backup to your main second baseman or middle infielder uh, and they take a day off, half the time Dietrich wouldn't have been playing that day and you know, you're out of luck. Now both of your guys are not playing and you lost a game. Um, but uh, like I thought at the beginning of the season, all he needed was playing time. And then kind of the perfect opportunity opened up for him uh, in the form of the D Gordon suspension, which obviously was a big blow for D Gordon owners, especially in Ottenew where he finally kind of made his name to have some value. Uh, but it was great for Derek Dietrich owners uh, just like Jonathan VR, as soon as Dietrich took over some playing time, not only has he been hitting well, he's been on fire. So, you know, if you picked him up for a couple bucks, really just hoping that you would get something or hoping that he would force his way into a role, uh, I thought he might unseat Martin Prado, but instead it's been D Gordon that got suspended. Uh, he's really paying dividends right now. 
just like you had mentioned that uh, Justin looks sometimes at the teams that own certain players and how many of the best teams own a certain player. Uh, I don't know that Dietrich would be, you know, on every championship team, but he's definitely a guy that if you owned him and you didn't expect to get much, now he's providing you a big boost because you're just slotting him in at second base or at middle infield or even at third base if you're a team that had a weak third base situation. Uh, and he's been great. I mean, he could be carrying your team right now if you've had infield problems. I was just going to say, you know, one other comment about Dietrich is that he's maybe slightly less relevant in Roto Leagues because he doesn't hit a ton of bombs. I mean, he's hitting 300, which is good. But, you know, he's he's really valuable in, I would say, Fangraphs points leagues or four by four leagues that, that wait uh, on base and stuff like that. So Roto, he might be a little less valuable, but he's still definitely ownable and, and uh, usable for sure. So, yeah, I especially think yeah, any league that counts on base percentage, he's hitting 300, which is uh, nice in a Roto league. But if you count on base, 392 is pretty elite. So, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's outstanding. So. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, why don't we go along to your player, which is the last one lined up on our list. Um, and it's another good one. <laughs> So this one won't take very long. It's just more of a more of an opportunity just to look at a player that I don't own that I'm just wowed by, and that's Kershaw. I mean, I don't own Kershaw anywhere. I probably never will. He's. I guess the question that I have right now is: Is he the best player in fantasy? And I mean, whether it's auto new or anything else, would you take him, Tom, number one, or would you pay? So right now he's owned in auto new for $57 I think on average and wow. Trout is owned at 66. Would you if if you were drafting right now in Auto New and you knew what you knew about Kershaw right now, would you pay more or less for him than you would at Trout at 66? I think it'd be fairly close. Um I'm not sure I'd want to go past 70 just because kind of the pitcher injury tax, you know, I hate to even say this because if anything happens, you know, I'll feel like the guy that jinxed it. But if I had to take, say, Trout or Kershaw and they were the same price, I might lean a little towards. Uh, well, uh, I should rephrase that. Not the same price, but say if I knew Trout and Kershaw would provide the same performance, the same production, right. I might lean towards Trout just because it's a little safer to lean towards the hitter in any fantasy format. Um now, that said, uh, why I had to rephrase that is that Kershaw is performing better than Trout right now. So, you know, I'm not sure he's quite at the point that that would cause his price to rise up above Trout for me, considering that I would normally pay a little less for him, if that makes sense. So, if Trout's, uh, yeah, if Trout's average price is, you know, 65-ish, um, maybe that's right about where I would take Kershaw, but at the same time... I would be willing to pay, you know, 70, 71 for a trout. So I might still pay a little more for trout. Um, I said the same thing for Bryce Harper, though, at the beginning of the year. And he is now um, not at a bad season, but he's kind of underwhelmed that price. So maybe that's an argument, you know, just don't try to second guess. Just take the production. Um, but considering that trout is performing really well, I think I would still prefer him by a little bit if I had to draft a team from scratch now, just for who I'd want right now, I'd take Kershaw, you know, if I could trade for him, but uh, I think you'd have a hard time trading for him anywhere right now. <laughs> it's it's going to be pretty much impossible to trade yeah. for him. I mean, the reason I asked that question is somebody threw out on Slack yesterday or this weekend that he's now an $80 player. And at first I was like, man, that's, that is expensive. But I mean, if you just look at the stats, I mean, he, more than any other player, even more than Trout, he is head and shoulders above. I mean, he is absolutely in a tier of his own. Right now, year-to-date, he's averaged almost 7.5 points per innings pitch in Fangraph Points Leagues. So he's on pace for over 1,700 points if he pitches the 232 Oof. innings that he pitched last year. I mean, 1,700 like points. closer and getting 230 innings from him. <laughs> It is. I mean, that's it, it's, it's it's incredible. So, just for fun, and this is our last player, so I'll just kind of leave you with this stat. But I, I was trying to think in my head, who is the last player to put up? I mean, an incredible stat. The last pitcher to put up some kind of 
some some sort of scoring that even comes close to what Kershaw did. I went back and looked at 99 Pedro Martinez. So in 99, a great year. I remember watching Pedro. He was incredible. He struck out 313 guys in 213 innings. And he averaged 7.25 points for innings pitched. So it's just over 1,500-something points. So Kershaw is now in that new stratosphere, you know, in the Pedro level. And he's just having an incredible season, partly because he's not walking anybody and he's striking out everybody. So it will be interesting at the end of the year to see the, the percentage of champion teams that own Kershaw because he's just having one of those – I mean, he's having a Hall of Fame career, but he's just having one of those just unbelievable seasons that that really might never be uh, bested by any pitcher going forward. Yeah, I mean, the way we talk about 99 Pedro right now, in 15, 20 years, somebody might say that about, you know, do you remember 2016 Kershaw? Right. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. The thing that's a little crazy to me about Kershaw, too, is um, that same idea of looking at what players are owned on the most championship teams. You know, we've been talking about some players like VR, Dietrich, Diaz. Um, and those are players that they might be on a championship team because you bought them for a couple dollars and instead you're getting $20, $30 production from them. But the crazy thing about Kershaw, he's on all these championship teams and most of them did spend $40, $50, $60 on him. So they didn't get a discount. You know, I mean, they're getting a discount on the performance, but they didn't get a discount bidding against people for him. They had to right. buy him pretty much at a fair price in the auction. Absolutely. So, I mean, you don't you don't usually get to spend sixty dollars on a player and get more than your money's worth. But you, yeah. you're getting it this year. <laughs> yeah, for real. All right. Well, uh, that's the last player on our list. Um, and actually, we've gone uh, quite some time today. I was wondering if we were going to be able to fill up time just kind of bantering about players, but we've done it. So um, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, just a reminder for anybody listening, if you click on the iTunes link, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. This is going to be the second episode up there. Um, and if you are so kind as to give us a rating or a review, we'd appreciate that. Um, we love five stars, but we'll take any number of stars you want to give us. Uh, yeah, and I will. Uh, with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>